Man, I'm going to start a, a new series called May We Be One. And it's based off something Jesus said. And we'll look at that scripture in a few minutes. And it's been interesting that a lot of people have been, have been kind of saying, man, we need some talk on unity. And, or they've even said, uh, you know, there may be disunity in the church. I haven't really perceived that. And I think that talking that out will help us understand what truly is disunity and what isn't, or at least you'll get my perspective on that. So this is a very important message because it's going to determine whether or not you want to be part of a church with people just like you, or if you want to be part of a church that includes all people who love Jesus. This this is really important because let me tell you who I'm comfortable around. If I'm just left on my own, I am comfortable around males in their 40s who grew up in the suburbs and went to college. That is so easy for me because I can just not really have to think, not really have to have a good conversation. All I need is a plate of food and a sports game, man, and we're we're bonded. We have the same world experience. We have many of the same interests. It doesn't take empathy or listening or learning. And there's plenty of churches in the suburbs that you can find with people who think just like you. That has never been our church, and that's not what I want our church to be. I want us to be a fellowship of difference people with different perspectives who are bonded together by the word of God and the name of Jesus in the gospel. As we age, because I'm getting older, we want to avoid places of conversation, the exchange of ideas, the curiosity of different perspectives. And so we do something that they called in the old West, we circle the wagons. Because when we circle the wagons, I mean, it feels safe and it's predictable. I believe the church in America is more in danger today of becoming homogeneous instead of diverse. Because we want to all find the same exact perspective and feel safe in that so we never have to feel uncomfortable and we never have our ideas challenged. Now, I know people wanted me to preach on unity, but maybe some people are regretting that request now. I'm joking. There are plenty of Christian communities communities available to you that will just make you feel good about what you already believe and who you already are. But if you study the New Testament, you will see that Jesus has built his church on a fellowship of difference people from different tribes and nations and experiences and perspectives. And they all come around the gospel and they come around the cross. And I want to tell you something. It is messy. And if you read the book of Acts, and if you read First and Second Corinthians, and we've been going through Galatians, you'll see that the New Testament is messy. And it's full of give and take. And it's full of clarifications. And it's full of working together. And it's full of mid-course adjustments. 
what we call now on Super Bowl Sunday, audibles. It's a mess. I hate to tell you this, but as long as there are people in this current world we live in, there will be conflict. I know some of us are very averse to conflict. And I know we come to an age too. I'm at a point where like, I I do want to avoid foolish conflict. But I I cannot avoid conflict entirely. Unity is not external. Unity is internal. How will you respond when conflict arises? That's the question. The question is not how can we avoid, how can we eliminate conflict? Because that's almost impossible if you have people who think. Now, if we want to have group think here and everyone wants to just think like me and you just want to be receptacles of information and you want to regurgitate that information, that's called group think. That's easy. My pastor said, I need to believe this way. My pastor says this. I've been around people, my pastor, my pastor, my pastor. I'm like, what about the Bible? All right. You know, what about scripture? So, so we don't want to have group think where everyone's just mirroring my thoughts. We want to have a, an atmosphere where we love one another despite sometimes having diverse thoughts. I'm not talking about diverse thoughts on Jesus and the way to salvation. I'm talking about issues of our day and even some interpretation of scripture. So unity is not about rules or policies Unity is about maturity. So we have a big test of whether or not we are in unity is whether or not we are mature or not. Because maturity means I'm going to be in relationship with people that won't always agree with me, but maturity says I'm going to love them despite of our differences. Because in the end, a lot of things that get us all riled up and worked up and ticked off won't matter in the end. It won't matter when you need someone to visit you in the hospital. It won't matter when your world's falling apart and you just need a friend to meet you at the coffee shop. It it won't matter when we stand before God and all of the things of the world that have faded away and melted away in light of his glory and grace, it won't matter then. So conflict is a test of your maturity. It's a test of my maturity. And I failed the test a whole bunch. I'm going to talk about that in a second. So here's a question I have for you. If you want unity in the body of Christ that Jesus is going to call for, and we're going to see this, here's the question. Can you love people you disagree with? I want you to think about that. That's a test of maturity. Can you love people you disagree with? Here's one of the biggest questions stirring in my heart and mind, and I've been silent about it because I, I just want it to marinate, and I don't want to, you know, be immature. One of my biggest questions in 2020 and now 2021, it's a series of questions. Have Christians in America read the teachings of Jesus? I'm serious. Have Christians in America really read the teachings of Jesus? Have Christians in America ever studied the Sermon on the Mount? And contained within the Sermon on the Mount are the Beatitudes. And if you don't know what those are, and I'm sure a lot of you don't, go look them up later. 
They're the, they're the most beautiful contrasting words to our world that only someone who was God could give them. And so Jesus did. Have, new, have Christians in America read the New Testament epistles that talk about the fruit of the Spirit? You see, our allegiance is to the kingdom of God. Let us not depart from this at all. Our allegiance is not to Rome. Our allegiance is not to Caesar. Our allegiance is not to Jewish nationalism. Our allegiance is not to the latest Jewish leader who's leading a civic revolt. That's not where our allegiance is. Our allegiance is to the kingdom of God. And it's to the teachings of Jesus Christ. Not the teaching of your favorite pastor. Not the teaching of your favorite person that you see on TV. To the teachings of Jesus. The the gospels are the pinnacle of our faith. The Old Testament leads us to the gospels. And the rest of the epistles kind of explain what Jesus said. Jesus doesn't get, he doesn't get much room in our conversations. It's like, you know, what would Jesus do? Remember that bracelet, WWJD? Maybe we need some more of those. So in my 30s, I know I still look like I'm in my 30s for those of you who are visitors, but I'm just going to break the news. I'm out of my 30s. I want to humbly tell you that. Um, in my, I, I became a senior pastor like at 29. So in my 30s, I made a lot of mistakes. Um, And I would express opinions sometimes that were edgy. Okay? And sometimes these opinions were prophetic, and I stand by them. Sometimes these opinions were a fresh voice to the church as, as a younger pastor. But sometimes it was my personal need to separate myself, to not be the typical pastor to kind of find my leadership footing. And sometimes I was just immature. And it felt so good to post that. But it wasn't being the leader God wanted me to be. Now I've adapted that. And 95% of the time I have someone proof and I have someone read my social media posts before I send it. Lately, some of these just general scripture or general, hey, God loves you, have a good day. I don't have people, you know, test those. But I generally now have either my wife or another pastor look over those and we talk them out. But there are people who are in this room right now who disagreed with me when I was in my 30s trying to be edgy, but they stayed at the church And they allowed me to mature. Why? Because they love me. You see, love is greater than opinion. I didn't know they were going to talk about love during worship. That was pretty cool. I I wish that we were that um, coordinated, but I guess the Holy Spirit just coordinated all that. So the biggest question about unity today is this. Can I love you? And can you love me? I hope I can say this. I'm moving to maturity. I love you when we disagree. I love you when you tick me off. I love you if you are deceived. I love you even if you are immature. 
I love you even if you understand something today that I won't comprehend for years. I love you even if you have had experiences and have a worldview I will never comprehend. I love you no matter who you voted for. I love you despite your sin. I will be friends with you. I will talk to you before I write you off. I will give you another chance. I will turn the other cheek. I will restore you with gentleness according to Galatians 6.1. And I will choose love over my offense. Now, guys, I'm not saying I always do that, but I sure want to. And I think those statements reflect Jesus' new kingdom that so desperately our country needs for you to live out and needs for me to live out. I'm going to tell you something. It is hard, but that is Jesus' style. That's his style. I had a nice, safe sermon, and everything I just said to you just came to me about an hour before service. So I trust that was from the Lord. So let me start my sermon now. Everybody's like, oh no, oh no. Let me talk to you about prayer for a second. Some of you have heard me teach on prayer. You know, I create all these prayer lists. I don't always get to them. I like to pray every day. At the end of the day, if I had not prayed, because sometimes things happen. Sometimes you've been dealing with a crisis and you get to the end of the day and you haven't prayed yet. Before, as I put my head on the pillow, I try to pray about 10 things. So at the very least, I'm going to pray 10 things. And it just helps me. On a great day, man, I'm praying hundreds of things. Because here's the deal. If you really start praying about everything you need to pray about, you can pray all day long. We have a great intercessory prayer team Thursdays. They're meeting Thursdays at 10 a.m. And and the times I've met with them, I'm like, we could literally sit here all day long. We're like, yeah, you know, my uncle's daughter... My, my uncle's daughter's boyfriend is having surgery. I mean, and all that stuff's important to God and it's important to us as a community, but it could just go on and on and on and on. My prayer list could go on and on and on and on and on. And so I have those 10 things that I pray and those are important to me because I'll tell you who's on that list. My wife, my kids, And then my mom and Beth's mom are both widows. So I want to make sure someone's praying for them. And then I'll just stop the list there because I don't want to offend anybody. (laughs) Those are pretty safe. Like, I thought I was on Aaron's top 10, man. I knew a pastor one time who said, I pray for the whole church every day. I'm like, man, that's amazing. He had a big church too. So I asked him, I'm like, how do you do that? How do you have time to pray for the church every day? And he said, well, I print the church roll and I lay my hands and say, God bless every name on this list. Amen. That's either smart or workaround or I don't know. It just depends on the day. So, yeah. You would. So anyway, I pray for my wife. I pray for my kids. Um, I pray for some of you off and on. You know, if I'm aware of a need, you come on and then sometimes you come off. I pray for all of you in the general CIL. But I say all of this is that prayer is not a duty. Prayer is an expression of love. So I'm going to pray for Beth and Abby and Luke and Lincoln every day 
and Peggy and Sherry because, I mean, they're, they're, they're my primary responsibility and I love them so much. I pray because I love. I love when I pray. Listen to this. To pray is to love. Now, you said, how did the sermon on unity turn into a prayer sermon? Let me tell you why. And here's point number one. Jesus is praying for us. Oh, this is so cool to know. Now, I mean, you were probably taught this somewhere, but I want you to feel it and hear it today in a new way. So we're going to look at John 17. We're finally going to get to scripture. Um, it was Jesus' last prayer, you know, before, before he went to Gethsemane. It was his last kind of public teaching prayer. And he, he talks about the church of the future. He talked about us today, starting here in verse 29. Or excuse me, verse 20. He says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. This is the word of the apostles spreading the word. So before Jesus went to Gethsemane, he was praying for this community of faith right now. He was praying for you right now. I had, I've had people say before, I've heard this, I wish somebody was praying for me. I, I wish there was someone praying for me. Hey, can I remind you, Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for you right now. You got a better option than Jesus? That's a pretty good option. Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 34 says it this way. Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God. That's a prominent place with God and intercedes for us. He intercedes for us. Jesus is praying for us right now. Jesus is praying for you. always have someone praying for you because Jesus is interceding for you. That is a cool powerful concept. You're never alone. You've got the Holy Spirit with you, but the Trinity is at work. Jesus at this prominent place with the Father is interceding for you. This is also reinforced in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25. Therefore, he is able, this is Hebrews chapter 7, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. So the next time you're like, man, I wish someone would be Someone would just send me a text right now and say, I'm praying for you. Or I wish someone would offer to pray for me. Or I wish I could hear a prayer. Those are legitimate desires and not belittling those. But when, the next time that happens and, 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 and those types of connections aren't available, just know Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for That's good. He's praying for us. He's praying for this service. Powerful concept. So then here's a question. Here's an important question. And we'll get to this in a second. What is Jesus praying? You know, one of my more, I guess, I don't want to say popular, but I get a lot of reaction to a sermon I preached in the last couple of years. And I just shared with you guys what I prayed when I prayed for CIL. I mean, I, I thought hey, this might be a fun sermon to give. And everyone, everyone really reacted positively. And they're like, we got to hear your heart. Okay, we got to hear your heart for the church. And so it made me realize in other things that what you, what you pray reveals your heart. So let me ask you this question. Do you pray that your son would hit more home runs or do you pray that your son is filled with the Holy Spirit? 
So it's good to pray and it's good to pray for someone, but what you pray reveals your heart. And, and praying the prayer is an expression of that character. So now if we take that principle and apply it to Jesus, we ask the question, what is Jesus praying for when he prays for us? Well, here it is. Jesus is praying for unity. Jesus is praying for unity. We don't really like unity. We think we like it, but it's just not as interesting as conflict. Strife gives us some stuff to talk about. Did you see that look on her face? I think that they think blah, blah, blah. It just, it just feels interesting. Unity can feel quite boring, you know? Our leadership board who makes the financial decisions for this church, we haven't had a fight in, in years. We had some stuff we had to deal with like 10, 11 years ago. And people were like, hey, how's your board? I said, my board's great. I mean, they've, they're, they're great. We're a strife-free board to the glory of Jesus. We come in, we make decisions, we, we discuss things. Sometimes people vote no, sometimes people vote yes, but we all get along. In fact, God has used our leadership board to heal some men and women who were in poor situations in previous boards. Now, I'm not saying that to, to be prideful. I'm saying that to give Jesus glory. It is possible to have a church in unity, and that's... With God's help, that's what we've been and that's who we will be. As long as we're mature, we can be united. Remember my introduction. Maturity, unity is a test of our maturity. Verse 21, look at this. May they all be one. That's where the title of this series is. May we be one. May they all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they all be one in us so that the world may believe that you sent us. The Corinthian church, they were all having arguing, they were, they were arguing about who baptized them. You know, that's one of the reasons why, I mean, we're going to have baptism, water baptism on March 7th. And, you know, I think it's fine for the youth pastor to baptize the teenagers and the children's pastor, the children and all that. But if we start working too hard on who's going to baptize who, we're going to fall in the same trap they did in Corinthians. Jesus is the one who baptized you. Some man or woman put you under the water and brought you back up. But I mean, go read 1 Corinthians 1. It doesn't matter who, it's the church. We're doing it for the church, not, not to follow a person. We're following Jesus. So they were arguing about, kind of bragging about who baptized them. And verse 10 it says, now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. This is talking about the, the essence of the gospel, of who Jesus is. So friendships are, are interesting. Friendships are always about something. Friendships don't just appear you have to have something in common with somebody to become friends. So the most important question in friendship is, you too? You too? Oh, you like that music? You like it too? Hey, we have a friendship revolved around music. You like football too? We have a friendship revolved around football. You like knitting too? We have a friendship revolved around knitting. 
And that does happen. It happens in this church. So don't laugh, okay? Don't, don't, don't belittle nimming, knitting or whatever else I said. Friendship is about common interest. That's how we become friends. We have common interests. So we, CIL Church and the larger church of Hendersonville, which is all Bible-believing, Jesus-exalting churches, and all the churches of the North Nashville region and Gallatin and White House and, and in all the differently, a fellowship of different perspectives, but our common interest is Jesus. That's what brings us together despite age differences, despite life experiences, despite our origins. We are bound together by Jesus. So you come to the church, you're like, you like Jesus too? Yeah, so do I. I like Jesus. You like, you like scripture too? Yeah, I like the Bible. I don't care if you're 40 years older than me or 20 years younger than me. We can go to the scripture together. You like loving people and meeting the tangible social needs of the, uh, of the community? Hey, me too. Hey, let's go to the, the homeless thing in Gallatin and help First Baptist Winchester Street. Hey, let, let's, let's, I'll see you at the Thanksgiving blessing. Or let, let's, let's not wait for the church to start something. Hey, let, let's fill the need. I like to touch people too. I, li- I like to touch tangible needs in, in our culture too. Let's do it. Let's do it in Jesus' name. Let's have that in common. What we all have in common is we believe in the power of the world that is to come. We don't live just for today. For the 80 to 120 years we get, our 100, the oldest person in the world is 119 right now. So to the 119 years we live, we don't just live for this day, we live for another day. We live for another world. And that is what we have in common. So it doesn't matter all of the other things that bring division to culture doesn't matter when you come to this church because we have Jesus in common. We have the scripture in common. We, we have the work of the Lord in common and we have the promise of the world to come in common. And so even if everyone is on a different faith journey, we're okay. Frankly, if we don't have people in this church who don't believe exactly like us, probably people are not coming to Jesus. I mean, if you want to be a part of church where everyone's alike, that church isn't going to grow. And I don't know about you, but in the time I have on this earth, I want to grow the kingdom of God. And that means there's just going to be people who haven't been educated like you in the scripture. Or they haven't understood that. And we know there's huge generational gaps. That's a sociological reality, but it is part of what we have to deal with here too. And, and these these things, it's, we're going to become more different as we reach more people for Christ. But our commonality is Jesus. Our commonality is the bread and the cup. We, we come together around that which all people have believed all times and all places. All people who have been Christians. And that, that's why we, can, we have brothers and sisters in every country. And I want to remind you, we have brothers and sisters in Iran, in North Korea, we have brothers and sisters. There, there is a, a Christian minority among the Palestinians. We have brothers and sisters, even in, in nations that we have uh, geopolitical conflict with. So what is our unity? The presence of Jesus is our unity. 
The presence of Jesus is our unity. This, this is powerful scripture. Jesus says, I have given them, this is John 17, starting with verse 22. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. So that's why the Trinity is so important because the Trinity shows this perfect relationship of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now look at them. Look at this, verse 23. I am in them and you are in me so that they may, have, they may be made completely one. That the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory, which you have given me because you love me before the world's foundation. This is the love that is within the triune God is the love that we begin to reflect when we reflect his glory. So we we have this thing in common. Jeff, you and I have in common the presence of the Lord right? Sarah and Nelson, we have in common the presence of the Lord. That's what we have in common. We don't have to worry about, we don't have to like the same sports teams and we don't have to listen to the same music and we don't have to have the same background and the same experience. When we have Jesus, he's like the common friend. I was doing some research on this sermon. I was studying um, some, some literature from the 90s that was uh, put on film. It was called Seinfeld. <laughs> Good for you. And there was an early episode where um, George and Elaine, sorry for those of you under 40 here, George and Elaine had to go somewhere, but their common friend was Jerry. And they're like, we're not friends. We're okay when we're with Jerry, but when we're not with Jerry, we're not friends. And eventually, you know, of course, they became friends. That's how a lot of friendship starts. Start. You know, you're not really friends with the people you go out with, but you all have a common friend, and then you become friends. Man, that's a real simple way to let, let you know how Christian unity works. Like, we have this common friend named Jesus, and we may not be friends naturally, but the more we hang around Jesus, then we become friends. I can't believe the Seinfeld illustration got the most energy in this room. <laughs> I mean, I, I saw the heads going up and down. I liked it, so I'm not criticized. I liked it. Here's my last point. Christian unity points the world to Jesus. <laughs> That's why Satan wants to divide, to divide us so far, so, so much. He wants to divide us. Man, and I've done my role to have Christian disunity. And uh, man, I, I am trying so hard today to find more alignment, especially in a post-Christian America. When I was growing up, all the denominations were fighting and it was kind of a sport to like pick apart someone's teaching and some of that stuff's still around today. But I'm like, man, if somebody loves Jesus, I, I want to continue to critically evaluate what they teach, but I also want to find commonality because we need one another. We need the brothers and sisters in Christ. We need the other churches in Nashville and Hendersonville and Gallatin. We need one another. We, we don't need to fight. We need to love one another and, and we need to, demonstrate a different way, a Jesus way. And when we do that, something happens. The world is attracted to unity because we're naturally, our flesh is attracted to strife and to vision. And that's why if you really look closely at our entertainment and, I'm gonna, and, and listen, 
cable news is a form of entertainment. It's not news. It's entertainment. Because, and that's okay. If you, if you choose to watch it, just know that you're getting entertained. And your emotions are getting stirred. And conflict's getting stirred. And, and I, I say that because conflict attracts. And strife empowers. And unity can feel boring. But when we get beyond the natural and we get to the supernatural... That God image within us is drawn to a different way, a way of love. And that's why John 17, verse 21, closing these texts and rereading a scripture we've already read. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may, be, may believe you sent me. I, I, I believe that when unity becomes more important, Jesus, unity is so important to Jesus. I mean, he prayed that for us and he's praying that for us. So when it becomes important to us, it changes the way we talk. It changes the way we talk. It changes the way I talk about other churches in the city. It changes the way I talk about other pastors in the city. I choose to talk about their good qualities, not maybe something I've discerned that was negative. You see, self-interest would say, hey, let me talk bad about another church or another pastor because maybe you'll like our church better and we'll get to keep you. How many know that's the spirit of the world? That's the spirit of the flesh. That's divisive. And listen, pastors like me, we have fallen in that trap over and over and over again. But instead, no, we, we love, we love the work of God on that side of town. We love the work of God in that different style of church. We love the work of God because we're brothers and we're sisters and, and, and this sense of, of Christian love is, is really what the part of us that was made in the image of God cries out for. We cry out for that love. We cry out for that unity. We cry out for that connection. We cry out for something that is otherworldly. You know, last week I, I went to Pastor Ronnie Meek's uh, retirement service. I wasn't going to talk about this, but this is a good time to talk about it. And, and I've had lunch with him probably a hundred times in the last 11 years. He's an overseer at this church, and he's a different kind of mentor because he's not really a mentor that I'm trying to emulate as much as he's somebody who is authentic, and he's someone who's a friend of mine. And the love between us is so real. But I want to tell you something. I fundamentally disagree with many of his views in life. I'm not scared to say this online because he knows it. And he fundamentally disagrees with me. But we love one another. And I am smarter and wiser and more empathetic. And I am I'm slower to speak because I have a friend like him that I know will love me no matter what I say. And I'm going to love him no matter what he says. And the fruit of the Spirit comes through in other ways. And that's one of the reasons why, I'm going to be honest with you, that's one of the reasons why I don't have to give you my opinion anymore. I don't have to blurt it out on social media, and I don't have to, I just keep my mouth shut in a lot of conversations. It's very rarely with people in CIL that I talk about the issues of the day until I build some trust but I've got people that I do trust on that. But this is what I want to trust. I want to trust that when I do have that talk and when you do disagree with me, I want you to disagree with me and love me anyway. That is true friendship. 
If, you, if I have to earn your love for the next 20 years, you don't really love me. But if you love me and love me enough to say, hey, I disagree. I had someone come out of the men's Bible study. Oh man, I just reduced it to 20 people. But, and, uh, and we were walking down the hall together and he was so cool about it. He said, hey man, you know what? I love your preaching, but you said something last week. And I just want you to know that me and some other people, we really disagree with you. And I said, well, I've already studied that and you're not going to change my mind. He said, you're not going to change my mind. And we gave each other a hug and moved on. What's wrong with that? Love is better than my opinion. It's all about whose kingdom you're in. Here's the last scripture and then we'll, we'll close this. Verse 23, I am in them and you are in me so that they may be completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Guys, we covered a lot of ground and there's unanswered questions in the sermon. There are things like, man, I wish you would have expanded on that or I wish you would have made that more clear. You have to come back next week. That's why pastors do sermon series, right? You have to log online next week. And we do that so we don't preach three and four hours at a time. Notice no one said, do it anyway. Preach three hours, preach four hours. All right, let's stand together. Man, I just see in my eyes the glory of God before us. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged of what you see in this world. It's just a shadow. It's just a shadow of what is to come. Don't be discouraged when things haven't gone the way you expected because the Lord has prepared a place for us. There's a place that he's prepared for us. We're just sojourners. Guys, we're just passing through this place. Don't get too attached to this world. Don't get too attached to this kingdom. Don't get too attached to our earthly heroes. Don't get too attached to your pastors. And don't get too attached to your favorite TV personalities, uh, religious personalities. Those men and those women, they're going to go and they're going to fade away just like you do. It's, you know, the grass withers, the flowers fade away, but the word of the Lord lives forever. Guys, we are eternal because of of Jesus. And so we set our eyes, not on things we can see, but on what is unseen. We set our eyes on Jesus who is seated at the right hand of the father. And we set our eyes on the power and the taste of heaven. What is to come? This is what we do as a fellowship of difference. Keep thinking, keep thinking, keep being a person who has an independent mind. Keep being a person who, who engages in the issues of the day. But then when you interact with your brothers and sisters, let love be greater than your opinion. Let love be greater and watch what God does. You know, one of the ways that we're part of this incredible, this, this incredible um, universal church, and I say that in all people who have believed in Jesus, all times and all places, this, this church is church that has looked different and been shaped differently. I mean, churches used to not have fancy lights and all that kind of stuff. But you understand, I won't talk about that anymore. What we have in common is the bread and the cup. You know, New Zealand, if I understand this correctly, is about 11 hours before us. And so sometimes on Saturdays, you know, I start, I start praying. I look at my little world clock and know that in New Zealand, they're having church already. Or excuse me, they're 23 hours before us, excuse me. And then in Seoul, Korea, they're having church. And then somewhere in Russia, they're having church. And in the Middle East, they're having church. And it moves all the way here to Tennessee. And 
Churches do all types of different things, but the bread and cup brings us to Jesus. So may we be one. May we be one.